0: Chapter 1 of Survivor's Tales of Famous Crimes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Survivor's Tales of Famous Crimes, edited by Walter Wood. Chapter 1 The Moat Farm Murder. A forger who was dramatically arrested at the Bank of England was found to be a murderer, also. This felon was Samuel Herbert Dougal, a man of undoubted ability, who had served in the army for twenty years and had reached the rank of sergeant. He lost his position through forgery and was sent to prison. Afterwards he lived by his wits and proved to be a callous libertine and an unscrupulous villain. A well-to-do lady named Miss Camille Cecile Holland became infatuated with him and as mr and mrs Dougal, they went to live at a lonely moat farm in the heart of essex miss holland vanished and not until four years later were her remains found in a ditch at the farm it was proved that Dougal had murdered miss holland and he was hanged at chelmsford prison on july twenty three nineteen o three before going to live at moat farm Dougal and miss holland resided with mrs a widow and well-known inhabitant at saffron walden mrs wiskin became the principal witness for the crown and this is her story of the famous crime it was in this very room where we are talking that Dougal and miss holland as man and wife spent a good deal of their time when they were living with me at this very place where i am sitting i put a fur cape which i will show you on miss holland and here, with tears in her eyes, she said good-bye for what proved to be the last time. She was driven away in a trap by a man we called Old Pilgrim to the moat-farm with Dougal, and I never saw her again till four years later, when I was taken to do my share in identifying her, and to send to the gallows one of the biggest scoundrels that ever lived. Ah, if I had but known then what he really was, and what he must have had in his mind to do miss holland one of the sweetest kindest and gentlest of women would not have gone i should not have let her leave me and she might have been alive to-day but i had not the slightest suspicion that there was anything amiss all the time three months they were with me and of course i had not the remotest idea that they were not married to me they came as mr and mrs dougal and as such they drove away to live at the Moat Farm, seven miles from here. The Moat Farm is a very quaint old place, dating from the time of Elizabeth, and as lonely a building as you will come across in a day's walk. It was an extraordinary place, great changes have been made since the murder was done, and the house was full of all sorts of odd corners and nooks and queer rooms and recesses. I have known it well all my life, and my dear father and grandfather knew it well, too, for they had often done work at it. You could weave many mysteries and romances around the farm, where plenty of strange things were lying about, amongst them a grinning skull, which was used as a candlestick. The house and garden were on a perfect little island. They occupied about half an acre, and were completely surrounded by a wide moat, which was about five feet deep. This moat was supplied with water from springs, and was crossed by a bridge leading to the house. Sometimes the water, in which there was fish, flowed very quickly when the discharges from the springs were heavy. In addition to the moat, there was a ditch in front of the house, or rather a drain, because all the drainage of the farm went into it. At the time I am speaking of, the ditch was being filled up, and old Pilgrim and one or two more men were doing the work. We shall come to that dreadful ditch again, by and by. Dougal had been negotiating for the purchase of the farm, and had made inquiries about rooms. Miss Parnell, a relative of the lady from whom Dougal bought the farm, knew me and recommended me, and he came and arranged that Mrs. Dougal and himself should live there until the farm was ready. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon on January 26th, 1899, just as darkness was setting in, that they came to my house. Miss Holland, as I shall call her, had traveled a great deal, and she brought a lot of luggage and clothing with her. Dougal and she used this room as a dining and sitting room. They had a bedroom upstairs. Dougal was a big, fine man, five feet ten and a half inches high, and weighing sixteen stone, but he had shrunk to twelve when they hanged him. He was remarkably pleasant-spoken, and often enough he would come down in the cold winter mornings and warm his hands at the fire there, and chat away as I did my duties. And often enough, too, he would go to the window and talk to a canary which I had in a cage at the time. Yes, as pleasant as you like." Sometimes he would take Miss Holland's breakfast upstairs, and she would have it in bed, and then take her bath and dress and come down. She had been used to a good deal of society, and I loved to listen to her talk. She had had a love affair earlier in her life, and she told me all about it. The lover had been drowned, but an engraved amethyst ring of his had been washed ashore and picked up, and this she constantly wore next to her wedding ring. She once allowed me to put the lover's ring on my own finger. It was a splendid ring of very thick gold. I think she was pleased to let me have it on, because, you see, I saw a great deal of her, and she used to call me Mother Dear, and say that when she was settled at the moat farm she would want me to go and live there and take charge of the place for her. But that was never to be. The name of Miss Holland was mentioned very soon after the pair came to live with me, Dougal said that if a letter addressed to Miss Holland came to the house, he wanted me to take it in, saying to me that it would be all right. The following day a letter did come, and I put it under the door of the bedroom, never supposing that anything was wrong. Several other letters came addressed to Miss Holland, and I always let the lady have them, as they had to do with her money. I naturally thought she was keeping the money in her maiden name, as other letters were addressed to Mrs. Dougal. The days went slowly by, Dougal often going to London and the moat farm to conclude arrangements for living there. Indoors, he was a temperate enough man, seldom taking more than a little whisky, and that chiefly with the late dinner which was provided for them. They say that he was a regular church-goer, but I don't remember that he ever went to church while he was living with me. When the real truth was learned about him, "'we knew that he spent a good deal of his time "'in the hotels and public-houses, and in bad company. "'A villain, indeed, and a hypocrite, he proved to me, "'and it seems that he must have murdered two or three women he had married "'before he met Miss Holland. "'Miss Holland had with her, when she came to me, "'a beautiful little spaniel called Jacko. "'There he is in the case behind you. "'She was devoted to the faithful animal,' which in his dumb way gave some sort of inkling of what happened at the moat farm, if we could only have understood things better at the time. But I will come to Jacko again, by and by. All sorts of things crowd into my memory as I speak. I well remember Dougal coming home one night from London, bringing with him two great eggs, which he took out of his overcoat pocket. "'How do you like them, Mrs. Wiskin? he asked, "'Do you think they were dear at five shillings each? "'They are goose eggs, prize ones, "'and when we get to the farm we shall have some very fine geese.' "'I told him I thought the eggs seemed very dear. "'But,' I added, "'I hope your five shillings will very soon be five pounds.' "'Well, the day came when the farm was ready for them, "'and they went to live in it. "'That was on April twenty-seventh, 1899.' old pilgrim came for them with a pony and trap here is the fur cape i put on miss holland when she was leaving the house she flung her arms round my neck and kissed me as she said good-bye mrs wiskin i shall see you again in a fortnight or three weeks keep that material till i come then you shall change me a check and make me another dress she was speaking of some stuff i had to make up i was trained as a dressmaker but I did not carry out her wish, for I never saw her again. I had, however, made certain things for her, and these largely helped me in identifying her long afterwards and bringing home his guilt to Dougal. Talking of checks, I ought to say that it was Miss Holland's money which paid for everything. She was worth, I think, about seven thousand pounds. Dougal seemed to have nothing, but there were no people here who would cash the checks, naturally enough, not knowing the parties. But it was all right when the checks were made payable to me. More than fifteen hundred pounds of Miss Holland's money had gone in buying the moat farm, where she and Dougal took up their residence after leaving me. Dougal still came into Walden and went to London, and Miss Holland busied herself in attending to the furnishing of the house and carrying out alterations. She meant, amongst other things, to have a bath put in, and the bath was sent to the farm, where I saw it long afterwards. Dougal himself did all sorts of things at the farm paper-hanging, painting, whitewashing, and making beehives and a greenhouse. He was very handy in this way, having been so long in the Royal Engineers. One day, about sixteen months after Dougal and Miss Holland left me, Jacko suddenly turned up here, and naturally enough, I and my daughters were delighted, because we thought we should see his dear mistress again. No mistress came, however, and I noticed that Jacko would not leave us. So we put our things on and went to the common, quite expecting to see Miss Holland and Dougal, but there were no signs of them, and Jacko insisted on going back home with us. I had him with me for three weeks, then I wrote to the moat farm to Miss Holland, EXPLAINING THAT I HAD THE LITTLE DOG WITH ME, AND ASKING WHAT I SHOULD DO WITH HIM. IN ANSWER TO THAT LETTER DOUGAL WROTE, SAYING THAT I COULD TURN JACKO OUT ONE DARK NIGHT, AND HE WOULD FIND HIS WAY HOME. KNOWING HOW MUCH HIS MISTRESS VALUED HIM, AND FEARING THAT HE WOULD GET LOST, I KEPT HIM ON. A FEW DAYS LATER DOUGAL CAME HERE TO THE SIDE DOOR, WHERE NOT MANY PEOPLE COULD SEE HIM, AND NOT TO THE FRONT DOOR, WHICH IS MORE PUBLIC. "'I was surprised at this, and asked him if he would not go to the front door. "'But he said that he would rather not, and that he was quite all right where he was. "'Have you little Jacko still?' he asked. "'Yes,' I told him. "'Will you let me have him?' "'Of course,' I replied that I would, "'and Dougal entered the house and said to the spaniel, "'Come along, Jacko, you have no business to run away from your mistress like this.' "'How much do I owe you, Mrs. Wiskin?' "'I told him that he owed me nothing at all, "'but he put a shilling down and took Jacko away. "'After Dougal left I found that he had dropped a glove "'and he came back for it, "'though I fancied that he was very unwilling to do so. "'I had done my best to learn something about Miss Holland, "'what she was doing, how she liked the moat farm, "'and when I should be likely to see her again.' but not a word could I get out of Dougal. He evaded every question. I never saw him again for nearly four years, and then he was driven past here in a fly, handcuffed and in charge of police, who had brought him from Cambridge Prison, for by that time Dougal had been arrested on the charge of forging Miss Holland's name, a charge which before long was to be followed by that of the willful murder of her. Then I knew that when Dougal came stealthily to the side door for Jacko, and refused to answer any question of mine about Miss Holland, he was a deliberate and cold-blooded assassin. Little by little, during a period of many weeks, the dreadful truth came out, and the story was this. For a week or so after leaving me, Dougal and Miss Holland were at the moat farm, passing, of course, as man and wife as they were supposed to be. Then a servant went, and Dougal's conduct was such that the girl complained to her mistress, who was very angry with him, and slept in the spare bedroom with her for protection. This was the night before the murder. Miss Holland was finding out how Dougal had deceived her. On May nineteenth, 1899, in the evening, Dougal drove Miss Holland away from the farm, and what happened was told by the servant. Miss Holland spoke to her in the kitchen, saying, "'Good-bye, Florrie. I shan't be long.' That was about half-past six. Dougal had put the horse in the trap, and Miss Holland drove away with him. She had no luggage with her, and it was quite clear that she did not mean to be absent for long. In two hours Dougal returned, alone. The servant was astonished and frightened, and well, she might be afraid, "'knowing that she was unprotected in such a lonely house at night "'in the company of a man whose real character had been revealed to her. "'She asked where her mistress was, "'and Dougal, who was never at a loss for a reply to any question, "'told her that Miss Holland had gone to London "'and that he was going to meet her when she came back. "'Several times he went out and remained for a while, "'then returned to the house and told the terrified girl that the mistress had not yet come. At last, just before one o'clock, he said the servant had better go to bed, and upstairs she went, but not to bed or to rest. Who could in such a house with such a man? She went to her room, but neither undressed nor slept, and thankful she must have been that the darkness was so short, and that day broke so soon. Never did it break on a more cruel, wicked crime. At about six o'clock the servant heard a knock at her bedroom door. It was Dougal calling her. She went downstairs and found that he had got the breakfast ready in the kitchen. He said that he had received a letter from Miss Holland, who told him that she was taking a short holiday and would send a lady friend down to the farm to look after things. That day the servant left the farm, her mother, owing to complaints, having gone to fetch her gone to london for a holiday how coolly and deliberately the man lied what amazing calmness he showed knowing what he did know for he had shot miss holland dead and buried her in the ditch the exact method of the murder and the precise time will never be known but it is believed that on returning from the drive dougal took the trap back into the shed miss holland being with him that he fired a revolver which was a silent one close to the back of her head, and killed her on the spot. He certainly carried her fully dressed and buried her in the ditch. From the night of that ghastly crime, Dougal continued to live at the moat farm and to carry on the work exactly as if nothing had happened. Yet all the time he knew that the body of the woman, who had given everything to him, was lying in the foul ditch in front of his very windows. To show how callous and cunning he was, he actually planted some shrubs over the very grave some months after the murder. When he had done this, he must have felt pretty secure. At any rate, he was always ready with excuses and explanations, for, of course, questions were very soon asked about Miss Holland. Dougal was ready with his story. Miss Holland, Mrs. Dougal, of course, had gone to London, and had left her clothing and jewellery at the farm. And who was the lady who went to the moat farm just after Miss Holland's disappearance? Oh, the lady was his widowed daughter, who had gone to keep house for him during his wife's absence. But, as a matter of fact, the widowed daughter was the real Mrs. Dougal herself. Month after month went by, year followed year, and four years passed without news of any sort being heard of miss holland during all that time this amazing man conducted the business of the moat farm just as if miss holland lived he opened and dealt with all letters addressed to her and carried out transactions with banks and stockbrokers just as he would have done if she had given him the necessary authority and all this of course because of the clever way in which he forged her name All the time he was going about drinking and amusing himself at hotels and inns, and in other ways acting like the thorough villain he was. To all appearances, Dougal was leading a happy life, and it may be that he had begun to feel that he was perfectly safe, and that his sin would never find him out. But for a long time people had been talking, and they had been putting two and two together, and were wanting some explanation of the extraordinary mystery of the disappearance of the poor lady who had first gone to the moat farm with him as his wife. But the day was coming, and was very near, when Dougal must have known that he stood in peril of his life. Rumors went so far that a police superintendent went to the moat farm and made inquiries about the missing lady, who was said to be concealed in a cupboard. The superintendent said he would like to make a search, and to this Dougal readily assented, and satisfied the visitor with his bogus tales. It was in October 1902 when a gentleman from the bank came to me and inquired about Miss Holland. I told him what I knew, and it was in this same month that another gentleman came to see me, as Dougal was trying to get a divorce from his wife, Who was living with him at the farm, and she was also trying to get one from him. Things were working slowly round, and in the early part of nineteen o three, detectives were set to watch Dougal, who knew that at last the police were on his track. His conduct showed that he was thoroughly alarmed and realized that his desperate game was up. He did not waste an hour, he drew money from a bank at Bishop's Stortford. "'and got some from another bank. "'Then he hurriedly packed some baggage at the moat farm and bolted. "'Dougal went to London and set to work "'to get as much of Miss Holland's money as he could lay hands on, "'and he had already secured a good deal. "'On March 18th, Dougal went to the Bank of England to change some notes. "'Now it happened that these notes had been stopped, "'and the cashier had Dougal detained till a police inspector came.' The inspector arrested him. While on his way to the police station, Dougal ran off, hoping to escape, but he dashed down a street with a dead end to it, so that there was not much trouble in recapturing him. From that time, the police never let him go. Each time he appeared in public, he was handcuffed, and bail was always refused. It was as a forger that Dougal first appeared in custody, and a long case was slowly built up against him. Time after time he was brought to Walden and remanded, but it was not the forgery charge that interested people so much as the systematic search which was now being made at the moat farm with the object of finding out what had happened to Miss Holland. The police took possession of the place, and for weeks they worked in bitter weather in the most astonishing manner draining the moat, going into every nook and crevice of the house and farm buildings, and doing all that was humanly possible. Sometimes the men worked up to their waists in black slime, and several times there were narrow escapes from drowning in the perishingly cold spring water of the moat. Discouraging to a degree was the work, but there was success at last, and that was on April 27th, when a policeman who was digging in the ditch "'came across what proved to be human remains, "'all that was left of Miss Holland. "'Then it was that the charge of murder was brought against Dougal. "'I cannot possibly make you realize what a state of excitement "'the whole countryside was thrown into by the terrible discovery, "'for Dougal by that time had become a very well-known man, "'and there had been so much talk about the strange affair "'and so many explanations of the mystery.' Swarms of people flocked to the moat farm, full of curiosity to see a place of which so much had been heard, and was in itself so very interesting. People drove and rode and walked, and the roads were alive with motors, traps, cycles, and pedestrians, coming from everywhere and making for just one place, the moat farm. Whenever Dougal was brought to Walden, it was a signal for practically putting up the shutters. For there was an entire stoppage of business, so intense was the interest which was taken in him. often enough, he was driven past this very house, handcuffed, and I was mostly at the window to see him go by on his way to the police court. I had to pay many visits too to the moat farm while the inquest was being held. Once when I was at the farm, I had to pass through the conservatory a place of which Miss Holland often spoke when she was living with me because she was very fond of flowers and plants and meant to get some of my own plants to take to the farm. As I passed through the conservatory I saw Dougal sitting in a chair handcuffed and guarded by jailers. He saw me and bent forward and gave quite a polite bow and that was his usual performance whenever we met face to face. "'I remember so well the last bow he ever gave me. "'That was when the judge had put on the black cap "'and was passing sentence of death. "'I was looking straight at Dougal, "'and I saw that the tears were streaming down his cheeks. "'He was trembling terribly "'and gripping the rail in front of the dock. "'Yet, in spite of it all, he smiled at me "'and bowed very politely for the last time. "'I do not know what was passing through his mind,' "'but he could see then he was done. "'But I am getting on a little too fast. "'I must go back to the moat farm "'where I was taken to identify what was left of Miss Holland. "'The remains had been placed in the conservatory, "'and terrible though the ordeal was, "'I passed through it successfully, "'for something seemed to say within me, "'Go on, go on.' By means of clothing which I had made for her, and a pair of boots which I readily identified, they had been repaired in Walden, and Miss Holland had uncommonly small feet, and in other ways I had no difficulty in doing my share in establishing identity. I saw the bullet-hole in the skull at the base, so that perhaps Miss Holland never knew what happened. There were many tedious days at the inquest, and the magistrates had Dougal before them about a dozen times. Then he appeared at the Shire Hall, Chelmsford, to be tried for his life by Mr. Justice Wright and a jury. The trial lasted two days, and at the end of it Dougal was found guilty and was sentenced to death. A great deal depended on what I had to say, and there had been many efforts to trip me up, but I never wavered, because I had nothing but the truth to tell. I shall never forget Dougal's looks when he was in the dock. He smiled at me now and again, as if I was going to say something to his benefit. But I did not. I was in a rage and could not help it. When he was sentenced, Dougal said he was not guilty, but he confessed his guilt just before the hangman drew the bolt. He is buried in Chelmsford Prison Yard. Miss Holland is buried in the cemetery here. I brought little Jacko to live with me, and when he died a natural death, I had him properly stuffed, and there he is in the glass case. Here is one of the dresses Miss Holland used to wear, and here is a black cashmere shawl she used to put over her shoulders when she went upstairs. These her nephew gave me, as well as her fur cape. And here it is, the cape I put on her the day when she kissed me good-bye at the door, and I never again saw her alive. End of chapter one. The Moat Farm Murder. Recording by Trisha G.